Welcome to episode 8 of All Booked Up, the Buffalo and Erie County Public Library's podcast about movies, books, and all things pop culture. I am your host, Michelle Snyder. And I am Jacob Miracle. And yet again, we are super happy to be with you here on another glorious Monday. Legitimately over the moon right now. Wow. That's right. Wait, legitimately? Legitimately. So I'm looking at you and your body is physically over a moon? That's what happens when you drink five-hour energies before you podcast. Holy cow. Yeah, it's going to get you all kinds of hyped up. You should see what he looks like over this moon. It is. It's intimidating. It's a sight. It's a sight. I feel Um, like Sandra Bullock right now. I don't know. What does that mean? It's a gravity reference. Ugh, really? Hey, you know what? I'm not. It's early. I'm supposed to just pick up gravity references like that. Well, you know, they got like get your... like gravity is the only movie that's taking place in outer space. It's the first one I came up with. So it's that or life. I'm sorry. Oh well. Don't, okay. Don't ever, don't take, ever watch that. Movie, I'll take gravity over life. <laughs> yeah, but good, um, good move. Good move. Speaking of just crazy over the moon, outer space, maybe banana sort of movies. Um, I watched one recently. Which one's that? So I went into this. 100% expecting to hate it. I was like, I'm going to hate watch this movie because the world has hated it. I mean, there's just been some terrible um, reviews. So I sadly got a copy of Mother! Exclamation mark from the library. Mother! <laughs> the new Darren Aronofsky film. And I watched it in a state of incredulity. It... I understand why it is one of the most divisive films of the year, but I have to say that I really, really enjoyed it. Ta-da! You know what? I also um, checked out this movie over the weekend, completely separate. This was not one of those you recommended it to me. Happy coincidence. We just felt we had to watch it. And I agree. This movie, I went into it expecting it to be terrible, and wow, such a good movie. Right? Why does everybody hate it? I don't know. I don't know whether they just didn't get this sim. I I can kind of see why maybe, but I don't. I love the movie. I yes, thought it was fabulous. I mean because it's steeped in symbolism and tone rather than character and plot. It can definitely be it confusing. A, it has a plot, not a not like you know an Ocean's Eleven a, style plot. Yes, but. it's not a standard. I feel like to talk about this movie a little, there have to be slight spoilers. But Which I, is unfortunate. But I think that the spoilers will actually help people enjoy it more. You know, you're probably right there because you can know what to expect going into it. Yeah, so I think that the main sort of spoiler, but which helped me as a viewer, is I had listened to an interview um, with Aronofsky, and we'll kind of talk about his films later, which some I like and some I don't. But I, after listening to it, I was like, okay, I have to check this movie out. Since the whole thing was kind of symbolic of that the main character, that Jennifer Lawrence's mother, exclamation mark, mother, <laughs> um, was representing Mother Earth. Yeah. Once I figured that out, I'm like, oh, okay. It really helps because then you're not just like, you know, oh, this movie's crazy. There's no point. It's just madness for madness sake. You're like, Oh, I see. Yeah, and then like it starts framing the whole movie, and then you start figuring out what's going on with Javier Bardem and all that. And see, that's like, the okay. other thing, which I don't really want to spoil all of the other characters, but I don't really know how to talk about the film otherwise, because the whole film is, is an allegory. Yes. Um, yeah, it's one of those weird situations where we don't want we want to talk about how great the movie is, but we also don't want to spoil the surprises for people watching it. Yes. 
Although I, I don't know how much of a surprise it's going to be once they actually start because they do hit it pretty hard and pretty obviously, at least I thought, once you start checking it out. So. But I think a lot of people missed it. I mean, didn't you say you were reading reviews on the movie? Oh, yeah. I read a couple and the people were like, this movie is a complete waste of time. It's a shoddy um, slapdash put together of a descent into madness. And okay. As I read that, I was like, that is not what this movie is. And that's is. not what it is. But So we're going to give a couple things away. So if, Mi- Minor spoiler alert for everybody. But it's not going to ruin the film. I honestly think that these spoilers are going to help in viewing it. Um, I'd agree with that. So it's not surprising. So Aronofsky is an atheist and a staunch environmentalist. And I feel like he's really obsessed with showing humanity's downfall in the face of um, an environmental catastrophe in the absence of God. Like that was with his film Noah, which, you know, didn't, didn't do mm, too well. It's an okay movie. It wasn't great. I think he, he kind of found it here um, where there's just a lot of biblical allegories and the characters do represent people from the Bible. But you don't have to be religious or really know much about it to understand these characters. It, these are the bare bones characters. Yeah, it's not like they're in-depth, like like hard to remember characters like some kind of like really hot take in there a pretty broad broad biblical and these characters don't have names like throughout you know she is mother even though you know in the beginning of the film she does not have children and her husband is referred to as him and maybe we can throw a little bit of the trailer in there to kind of get a sense of it of the confusion that people would feel all right let me me cue that up here We spend all our time here. I want to make a paradise. She redid all of it. Every last detail. She breathed life back into every room. Are you happy? Hello. Hello. He's a stranger. We're just going to let him sleep in our house. God help you. They've come here to see me. Come quick. You're insane. All I'm trying to do is bring life into this house. Open the door to new people, new ideas. I'm so sorry. Get out of my house! Yeah! Yeah, So if you listen to that and we're like, that doesn't make any sense and it sounds stressful, you're sort of right. You are. That, <laughs> having watched it, the trailer actually does an excellent job of setting up the movie. Yeah, so as we said that there's biblical allegories when she says things or like they're making a paradise and how these people have come in droves to kind of see the him character who's an artist and worship at his feet and maybe... He just wants to bring life He just wants to bring ideas. life and love, but maybe in that people have neglected mother... And maybe taken advantage of her kindness and her home and everything that she offers to these guests who, again, have come to worship at the artist's feet. And maybe instead of honoring him, maybe they should have been honoring her. Yeah, because him is, you know, the artist, he's a little bit bit needy, like a little bit self-centered and selfish. He needs people's praise. Yes. They all see his, and if people don't praise him, you know, he gets a little, he gets aggravated if they don't do what he says. You know, there's parts where people are going into rooms in the house where they're not supposed to be going. Yes. And it, you know, gets right on his wrong side and all that and wants to kick him out immediately. Yeah. So it's definitely a biblical film from an atheist and a filmmaker whose films have gathered, you know, 
critical opprobrium over the years, so it's not shocking. And he seems to like doing biblical allegories too, because like he, when he was done with Noah, apparently he this was his second, not his next project, but this was like the one he started writing immediately after that one, mm-hmm. like original wise. He had this weird dalliance where he was uh, actually picked to direct Batman before oh. um, for Man of Steel and stuff in like the new DC extended universe. Okay, he was uh, selected to be the director for it. And, you know, then they kind of realized, we just hired Darren Aronofsky to make a Batman movie. (laughs) We probably should not have done that. And he got, you know, pulled off. You know, I actually, so we should talk a little bit about his films in general. Last night, I rewatched The Fountain um, because it is a film that's really beautiful to look at. And I feel like the first time I saw it, I didn't really like it. I didn't totally get it. Like I understood it was about um, loss and grief and all of these things. So I watched it again last night. And... Yeah, I still don't like it. It's I don't like that movie at no, all. I saw that really like years boring. ago. That's probably one of that one and Pi are his two movies where I'm kind of like, oh, I don't know if this is a good movie or yeah, not. Yeah, I saw Pi and I'm like, you know, in theater school and feeling artsy and being like, I'm gonna love this, and I was like, oh, I am not artsy enough for this movie. <laughs> but you know, he got better over time. He's got you know. He was one of the top directors in Hollywood, one of my favorite directors for sure. See, I can't say that, but Requiem for a Dream will forever be a movie that changed me. That movie ended, and no joke, I sat in the theater for like a solid 10 minutes after, like rocking myself slowly, being like, what did I just watch? If you need your soul torn apart, then (gasps) Requiem for a Dream, especially the director's cut, which is even worse than the theatrical cut, will just rip your entire soul out. No, it gets worse. Yeah, they left stuff out in the theatrical no. version. Like you get some closure on what happens. I think to I people. actually, <laughs> he actually owned the DVD, so I did see the director's cut, and I remember this because my my roommate's boyfriend at the time came over and saw it, and he was like, "You felt the need to own this movie? Like you need to watch it repeatedly?" And I was like, "You're right. I don't know why I bought it." Yeah, you're going to be looking at it on your shelf and you'll be like, should I watch Requiem for a Dream today? And you're How like, much do I hate myself today? Yeah, like, No, no, I don't think I'm going to do that. But again, it's a good film. I recommend people watch it because it's very, it's very profound. Um, it involves drug use and basic insanity. And we're making it sound like he's a prolific director. We've covered four of his movies. He's only got six. And his other two are probably my two favorite. Um, his popular ones, too. Yeah, um, the Wrestler, which, surprise, surprise, is probably... My probably my second favorite of all of his movies. The Wrestler was great with Mickey Rourke, Mickey Rourke. and Marissa Tomei. Is Marissa Tomei, yes. Yeah. Um, Ricky Rourke was um, specifically like, yeah, I know Murky. Did you did you say murky. Ricky or Murky? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Mick, uh, Mickey Rourke was like um, that year famously was like the front runner to win the Oscar. Yeah. And then he ended up showing it up at WrestleMania. Um, like a month before the Oscars, and everybody was like, "Well, you just ruined your chances of winning." And then they gave it to Sean Penn and Milk, and nobody remembers that movie nor cares. Um, I 100% remember Milk and care about it, and it's, I thought that was a really great film. It's <laughs> so. Sean Penn doing Oscar bait, and I, I did not care for it. I at guess all. I really like the character, um, but Milk he, in general, like as a person. I'm, so uh, I that, did enjoy that movie, but. That I can't argue the person himself, but the movie, well, a little bit. It's a little bit like the King's Speech. It's the, built the, to win Oscars. The Wrestler might have been a, a stronger film, and then stronger his, performance. I don't stronger know. Stronger performance, film. sure. And then his big film, Aronofsky, that I cannot stand is Black Swan. See, I love Black Swan. The world loved Black Swan. I mean, she won the Oscar, right, Natalie Portman? She did, yeah. Yep. And he uh, was up for best director, and film was up for best picture. So why uh, didn't you? Uh, why didn't you like Black Swan? I don't know. It just felt like. 
over the top and I was kind of bored. There is a scene in Black Swan. <laughs> we'll never forget because I saw it on Christmas with my husband and my best friend. And in one of her fever dreams or whatever was happening with Natalie Portman, they show a scene where both of her legs like break backwards. They're I, like, I do remember that. <laughs> and I just know all I can remember is my friend just leaning into me in the theater and she's like, yeah, I'm checked out now. <laughs> I was like, "Oh, you're done. That's it for you. Now you're you're pretty much just a body here with not watching." That movie does go off the rail. I mean, if off the rails at a little bit, it's part of the story, you know, for yeah. the the ballerina slowly losing it over like obsession and the overbearing. He should just and all stick that, to what he knows. His weird his biblical allegories. His biblical allegories and his environmental. Um, because the fountain definitely had a lot of environmental things. Yeah. Noah's Noah's about well. a huge flood. Like sure, yeah, I've heard uh, Noah. Yes, familiar story. <laughs> uh, mother as well. Is I feel like if there was story. a flood, he should have built an ark. Does that happen in the film? Uh, I, gonna, I don't want to spoil it. I don't <laughs> want to say anything. So it's Russell Crowe, so we might just punch back all the waves. I kind of do want to watch that movie, but Noah? I've never heard anything good about it. We made a lot of money. That's kind of a good. You thing. know, because there's things where you hear like Mother again. I don't know why I was compelled to watch it. I think I found the DVD case and the poster were so beautiful. The one where Jennifer Lawrence is like painted in a garden and she's like holding her heart out. And I was like, all right, you're going to be terrible, but I have to watch you. So I'm really, was really pleasantly surprised. It is worth checking out people just to talk about it. It will really make you think. Even if it makes you angry, it will make you think. If you're going to check it out, you know, go down to your local library, pick it up. It's available at all city branches and the central branch so yeah it is and so that made me think of other i was walking around and kind of thinking of other movies that we have here not similar but that have like an environmental theme to them and so there's a couple i'd like to recommend so i don't know if people have seen the documentary inconvenient truth um but i think that's one of the more important films to the environment movement did you see the uh, second one i haven't i, I didn't haven't. see it either but you know what is it another inconvenient truth or more inconvenient truth? go see them both they're both about the same kind of still energy. super inconvenient <laughs> but yeah it's just like a scientific case for global warming in no uncertain terms and like no matter how you felt about the film um, or the subject matter it definitely polarized the nation when it came out yeah it was a, how when did that movie come out that was like early 2000s right like had to be after well it was right right after Al uh, Gore ran and now it's hard to really imagine climate advocacy without Al Gore at the podium. He is pretty so. much the uh, the face of the whole movement. So It was also, I think, historically important um, for opening up funda- funding sorry, for documentaries in general because it proved that you could literally just have like a PowerPoint presentation and rake in $50 million because it was so compelling. That's a very good point. I didn't even think of that. Yeah, the movie came yeah. out and then all of a sudden documentaries were all over the place. You got March yeah. of the Penguins came out not too long after that. Yeah, and, and um, those Michael Moore movies were coming out. Did you see Winged Migration? No. I that didn't. is another one that I think is a really great environmental film. Although it doesn't touch on that, they follow um, these migrating birds. And I feel it is one of my favorite documentaries and it really changes the way that we think about nature by kind of providing an intimacy with the animal kingdom that I feel has never been caught on film before this. It leaves you with a sense of awe because they ended up building these gliders Mm -hmm. and they fly alongside these birds that are migrating these thousands of miles and taking these really perilous journeys. And it is a genuinely remarkable film no matter how you feel about birds, you can be like, I don't really think that much of birds. You watch this, you're going to love it. You mean like kind of like fly away home? 
That old Disney movie? Kind of, but, you know, real birds on their real journey in a oh, documentary I style. I actually might check that out. Bird, yeah, bird no, migrations, it's one of those mysteries of nature. Like, how do they know where to go? Oh, it's know? crazy. And they go so far, and it's it's so arduous, and I don't understand, like, how they do it. But it's really beautiful. And again, like I said, they fly next to the birds, so these shots are unbelievable that you're getting. Well, nice. Do you have any other documentaries or just... Well, I have other, like, not document. Oh, yeah, well, yeah, um... Okay, so this film is directed by Godfrey Reggio. It is not a documentary in the standard terms. It's called, and I'm going to butcher this, uh, Koyanistatsky. Nailed it. <laughs> Thank you. It is an epic, wordless exploration of the Hopi phrase, which is Koyanistatsky, which means life out of balance. And what is happening in the documentary is that they superimpose um, – spectacular imagery of nature over like the frenetic comings and goings of the you know everyday modern metropolis and it's kind of like a buddhist meditation on the environment both found and constructed and it is really fascinating to watch it can be kind of tedious in the beginning because there's no words there's like music which again is scored by philip glass so it's good music but once you kind of let yourself uh, get into it it's really amazing. Okay. See, I when it comes to like these uh, the climate change movies, I actually went a little bit more on the poppy side. Like sure, I was trying no, to think that's of some great too. So one of my favorites that deals with um, climate change that a lot of people don't realize is the entire Mad Max series, which came out okay, way back course, when in the seventies, yeah. eighties. People don't know that entire movie is based around a nuclear war that obliterates the earth because oil started running out and yep. then the land started drying out like the water started burning up because of global warming and the nuclear apocalypse everybody just kind of thinks that it's some like random event but they tell you at the beginning of pretty much every one of the movies like this is because yeah this we used up happened. all our um, fossil fuels and then there was massive wars about it well, which is a possible possible future unfortunately I mean, that's why I'm always reading kind of like those dystopian books because you're like, I just got to mentally prepare just in case. Yeah, it just, I'm going to have the upper hand. I'm going to go watch Mad Max <laughs> 1 through 4 and I'm going to like, I'm going to get ready for the, um, and have the a coming. And have a good time anyway. So other movies that people don't think about that are, um, you know, about the environment is how about WALL-E? WALL-E, yeah, Pixar. That is, good, about, so, that is about that, isn't it? Yeah. So, you know, it's very visionary. It's hilarious. It's sad but you know disney managed to paint a picture of kind of an apocalyptic future which is just dominated by endless yeah. landscapes of garbage and completely devoid of life you, you say landscape you could just say landfill i think that's pretty much what the earth is yeah at that point i think that pixar kind of downplayed the environmental message in the media but you know it's very clear with this that the last, you know, little mute robot on Earth really does have a message um, about how we treated the planet. And, you know, for a movie that's 80% dialogue free, it is very emotional and a beautiful love story to boot. Oh, I love robot stories. You know, they just, they just, they just warm story. up your heart. Um, you know, what? Got? I got some other ones here for you. Um, you ever see the movie Snowpiercer before? Oh, indeed. Snowpiercer Future. It's a movie right now, but it's also a TV show starring Jennifer Connelly that's coming out on TNT soon. So keep that in mind. That's interesting. But this is a movie. Um, it's about a train that is constantly moving because the world outside is basically frozen over. Yep. And the only way that these people are able to survive is they have to live on this train that's constantly moving. And 
the poorer people are stuck in the back of the train with all the machinery. It's mm-hmm. gross back there. They have no food. They're all cramped together in horrible living conditions. And then as you move further towards the front of the train is where it gets gradually richer and more opulent the farther it's still, up it go. It's still Earth just on a train. Yeah, Nothing's it's er- changed. So it's um, not only a movie about like the effects of climate change, it's also a movie that goes about like class warfare and... Like, no, that's a great movie. I will I will mention though. It is it's very violent. It's very violent. And I I kind of didn't take that all in and then I recommended that my sister show my little nephew and I scared him for a good couple of years. You had him watch Snowpiercer? I did. <laughs> did you forget I, what that movie was? I kind of a little bit. Um but yeah, he's okay now, but it was a rough couple of years. <laughs> Just a couple of years of him having Nightmares. Which, and it has Tilda Swinton, and she is in her usual creep mode, so it's great. It's a callback to Mother, too, because Ed Harris is in it, too. Not oh, going to yeah. tell you why, but he's in there. Yeah. I can't believe you showed a child a movie about I'll people write. having to eat cockroaches. All right, I'm a bad person. I'm admitting it. Jeez Louise. Okay, so a movie that I know we both like that you wouldn't think of as an environmental film, but it's kind of like a crossover, is what about Aaron Brockovich? I didn't even think of that one. Yeah, so, like, great movie that a lot of people saw, but I think, you know, they're not always aware that they're definitely watching a piece of environmental advocacy because, you know, the whole thing with the polluting of the water and evil corporations that, you know, were kind of killing people. But the story was so good and it was really well acted that it just kind of looked like a puff entertainment piece. But, yeah. You know, if you're going to go off the off the reservation a little bit, I think I'm going to go with a one that's barely a kind of climate change and world thing. I'm going to go with Kingsman, actually, because okay. the plot of that one is basically Sam Jackson wants to do a culling because the world has got to the point where, like, resources are too scarce for our population. Okay. So, you know, the whole Kingsman organization is deaf. I just kind of basically want to pipe that movie up because I don't think enough people know what it is. And I you saw watch Kingsman it. and I did not like it. Really? Yeah. Too violent for you, another one? No, because violence, you know, doesn't really scar me. I'm desensitized. <laughs> I've been, you know, I grew up in the 80s. We had the weirdest films back then. I have no feelings, but I just wasn't into the story that much. Um, but then jumping off of that one, another one that actually is um, about climate change, because I don't want to get us too off topic here, is actually yeah. Waterworld back in the day. Oh, Waterworld. Yeah, everybody forgets oh, about I that one. Did see that movie? Did you really not see Waterworld? <sighs> I don't remember. It had a lot of really bad hype. It was like, it's three hours and slow and miserable. But I like uh, movies like that. I don't remember if I saw it. It's not three hours. I don't know who told you that. Um, it's a movie about like the polar ice caps have melted. It's just kind of a situation. It's a lot like um, this one and another one, Day After Tomorrow, kind of have the same plot where like holes in the ozone layer. You remember when that was a thing? Yeah. People were really worried about that. It's basically holes in the ozone layer in Day After Tomorrow. It freezes everything because it like changes the way that the currents move in the ocean and it has like a super storm water world is um the holes in the ozone layer melted the polar ice caps so it flooded the entire planet okay situation that they're kind of warning us about now went down in florida and along the coast about rising sea levels so it's not necessarily as sci-fi as it once once assumed i feel like we're really we're really bringing an upbeat optimism today to the podcast not if you watch the movie <laughs> we're like let's talk more about earth dying yeah, okay, how how, about what are all the ways that we're all going to have a horrible horrible <laughs> well, climate well, at least death. if you're gonna go out go out with an animation so have you seen i love um hayao miyazaki did you see nausicaa the valley of the wind no okay so that's uh you know one of his 
celebrated animations, but it's kind of about after a global war, this seaside kingdom known as the Valley of the Wind remains one of the last strongholds on Earth that's untouched by this poisonous jungle and these powerful insects that um, guard it. And Princess Nausicaa, she engages in this epic struggle to, you know, restore the bond between humanity and Earth and yeah, besides being just aesthetically stunning, like all Miyazaki films, it's really thematically touching. And, you know, it's a good one you can watch with your kids and sort of, you know, present the message of take care of Mother Earth. <laughs> I love those callbacks. One of these days, we got to make a note here. One of these days, we're just going to do like a whole episode on Studio Ghibli movies because there's just oh, so much, so much to do with those. They're the best, too. I really love them so much. So before we run out of time, I was thinking of a couple books that I had read. Okay. Um, you know, about taking care of the environment. Let's do it. One that's really interesting is called The World Without Us by Alan Weissman. And instead of just like some sort of apocalypse, it's really about if humans just disappeared instantaneously from the earth, what would kind of happen to the earth and how the planet, how it would reclaim its surface and what sort of um, creatures would emerge. And, you know, a lot about like things that we treasure now, like the structures and tunnels and bridges and things like that, like how they would survive um, with an unmitigated impact of plants and no intervention and things like this. So um, I think it was a bestseller, but it's it's really fascinating. He draws on kind of every field of science to present um, this environmental assessment that really is like no other. And it leaves you feeling kind of hopeful. I mean, granted, there's no humans in the book, but you feel like the earth can really recover and a lot of beautiful things can happen when maybe humankind isn't affecting the planet anymore. History Channel actually had an entire series, uh, Life After People, oh, about yeah. that very topic. Yeah, so I saw that. It's another one worth checking out. It also almost makes it think like, well, it doesn't really matter if humans are here. Nature will be fine. It, it, is, it is kind that of we positive won't. that if something like that happened, that, that the earth would recover with time and kind of quickly that the plants are just like New York City subways, like growing through it, you know, because they're underwater. It doesn't take long that when this stuff isn't manned anymore that, you know, nature just kind of comes back. So. It's, al- it's almost like if, uh, I don't know, if some kind of fire swept through everything and kind of erased everything and then we had to start the whole world over in the future. Which is what happens, I feel, in California all the time. Like, we're really shocked by these wildfires and then at the same time you're like, this is what has always been happening through millennia of, you know, things burn down and start over again. And it's just really horrible because now there's people there and there's homes and it's way more, it looks like, destruction instead of you rebirth yeah you know every like joke like you know everything burns everything is reborn it's all a big cycle you know it's one of those it's a common theme in a lot of literature and books yeah you know you got to burn everything down for it to be reborn better yeah um you know what i got a com- dual combination then another post-apocalyptic book that also goes in with our books to curl up with in the uh Oh, in wintertime? Winter time, we got a long book. Of course, Jacob, of course you have a long book. Actually, this was one you suggested to me. Um, the Wool Series by Hugh Howie. Oh, Remember those ones? Best. Remember, yes, I do. Yeah, so those ones are about uh, people living in underground silos, um, kind of like the Snowpiercer idea, just, you know, up to down instead of front to back, you know. Yeah. 
but what a good series like somebody and self-published he yeah. put wool onto amazon by himself in like five different sections of the first book and became like a huge star all on his own and then didn't he like write the book like on his lunch break like would write like one chapter or something that's like the the lore behind the book i, believe. I mean it's possible he seems to be putting books out now but this was one of the few books that was self-published and then i think it was simon and schuster picked it up after but like no other book he got to dictate he was like i will still make the money off this and people that like like no one else he made a deal because he's like i don't need you yeah he's like, like i put it out there me. guys i put it out there it sold like wildfire so. well is a is a wonderful book and then it has like the prequel and then the sequel yeah it's you know the whole series so you don't have to it's not a one-off you know, you don't have to wait forever to figure out the rest of the book. So, you know, go check that one out for a couple different See what topics. it's like living underground in a giant silo. <sighs> Can't wait. Positive Monday. Just totally, <laughs> totally looking forward to it. I have another nonfiction book, um, and this is something close to my heart because I don't know if you know this about me, Jacob, but I love bees. I did not know that. I love bees, and I feel really bad for their struggles. So this book is The Beekeeper's Lament, How One Man and Half a Billion Honeybees Help Feed America. It's by Hannah uh, Nordhaus, who is a, an award-winning journalist, and it kind of tells the story of this man, John Miller. He's one of America's uh, foremost migratory beekeepers. And just the the myriad and mysterious epidemics that are threatening the American honeybee population uh, right now and that people don't realize how important honeybees are to our survival and the food that we eat, like how much of that is spread through bees. There's also a great documentary at the library um, about honeybees and this terrible struggle that they're going through. And it's really important. If you see a bee in the summer at your picnic table, just let it alone. Please don't kill it. All topic, uh, the lack of bees, t- very famously covered by M. Night Shyamalan and Marky Mark in The Happening. That was the oh, whole I didn't plot. see that movie. I heard that was terrible. What, what about the bees? Oh. That's an actual line. Didn't anybody care about bees? Actual line from the movie. Well, they should care about and bees. You watch Black Mirror, so did you see the season finale from season three? I mean, I did, but what was it? I can't remember. It's got something to do with bees or lack thereof and it being a big problem. You know, it's really? black. How, have I did, how do I not remember this right now? Because it goes know. in and then it's out. There's well, too much you know, media in my brain. It's just like at the beginning, at Mother, you watch Black Mirror and all of a sudden you're done and you're like, oh, man. So much to think not about. Not good. Okay, so we're going to kind of wrap it up. Thank you so much for listening. want to let listeners know that the Downtown Library is having a job fair on January 24th from 10 to 2. So come on down, you know, shine your shoes, bring a resume. And there are so many different employers here, and you can talk to people on the spot. It's always a, a really packed event. So definitely come down and check that yeah, out. Come down here. Go check out the job fair. Check out some books. Um, check out Grab, grab Mother. Yeah, and then mother. you'll be all set. And, okay. of course, don't forget to hit up the World War One exhibit up on the second floor currently at the Central Library. And there's so much to do. There's so still, come on down. Just, you know, you're, you've got stuff coming out of your ears at your you local know, library, Speaking folks. of the library and librarians, I have a question for you, Jacob. It's really important. Ooh, okay. What is it? I want to know, why did the librarian win a Lifetime Achievement Award? You tricked me. Why why did they do it? She had a storied career. (laughs) I'm a genius. All right, everybody, take it easy. Bye.